0: Let's pray. And Father God, we come before you and we open your word and we pray, Lord, your spirit's presence here. Lord, we pray for your spirit to fill our hearts to overflowing. Lord God, we want your word to sink deep and we want it to become a very real part of our lives. We, we lay our, ourselves at your feet now that those things would happen in your spirit's power and through your wisdom. All in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 23, grounded by the shepherd. All right, what we have before us tonight is the great shepherd-sheep analogy, whose themes run throughout Scripture. It begins with Joseph in the book of Genesis, chapter 48, verse 15, when Joseph says that God has been his shepherd through his entire life. Goes on and, and it shows up again in Ezekiel chapter 34 where God speaks to the shepherds of Israel and the sheep of Israel. And then Jesus uses it of himself in John chapter 10 when he calls himself the good shepherd. Every person who has dealt with sheep, every shepherd in America or Europe, Every commentator, as as they go through Scripture, agrees that this is one of the most brilliant analogies for our relationship with our Creator. It is just so suitable in so many ways. David, having been a shepherd himself, understood very well the nature of sheep and of shepherds and of their relationship with one another. And so he uses this earthly relationship to describe to us something greater he uses an earthly picture of of sheep and shepherd to describe our spiritual walk with God our relationship with him much the same way that Jesus did over and over again in, in the New Testament when he was on this earth. And he used agriculture and nature to describe for us greater concepts, spiritual things, as he gave examples like Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. He's talking about sowing seed, but he's talking about deeper things. Or in Luke chapter 13, we see fig trees and vine dressers, mustard seed and leaven as he talks about the kingdom of God. He uses these pictures to describe for us something deeper, something more significant than mustard, seed, and leaven. What we have described for us in this analogy tonight are the spiritual benefits of belonging to a certain shepherd. David says that because I belong to God, he provides for me, he guides me and he blesses me let's go ahead and open our bibles up to psalm 23 let's stand up for the reading of god's word psalm 23 starting at verse 1 says the lord is my shepherd i shall not want You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Reading of God's word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and be seated. This psalm tells of the relationship between David and God. The, the fact that it relates to us the fact that he belongs to God. Right there in that first statement we have, The Lord is my shepherd. Notice the, the all caps on that word Lord. And this indicates that David spoke the very name of God. Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd. Don't be confused. It's not just any God. It is the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the I am. The God who revealed himself to Moses and said, I am. The eternally existent one who was and is and is to come. The uncreated God who has always been. The Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah forty. 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This is the God that David said, He is my God. He is my shepherd. David specifically And specially claims a relationship with the God of creation, the God who removed Israel from Egypt miraculously and powerfully, the God of the Ten Commandments, the God of Mount Zion, the God who chose Israel to be his own people. Think about this for a moment. In this statement, the Lord is my shepherd from the word, from, from the lips of David. God is not dictating this to David, is he? It is not God speaking, saying, David is my sheep. It it, it is David claiming it. God is mine. What a bold thing to say, isn't it? To lay claim to God. Consider uh, the dignity and the honor that the Lord sees in you, that he sees in us, that he would allow us to claim him as our own. This is a very bold opening statement. Us in our filthiness, in our imperfection, us created in the image of God with an honor inherent from him. Genesis chapter 1 if you remember God says let us make man in our image James reiterates that to us he speaks of the inherent honor of mankind because we are made in the image of God And he's given us a choice he's given us a choice we, we get to lay claim to who our shepherd is the world or himself He loves us that much, and he desires from us an an honest, a very real love from us. And he he desires that so greatly from us that he gives us a choice. We will be beholden to something. We will be beholden to someone. And Scripture tells us that it is either the world or God. It is either sin or righteousness. One of the two. Romans chapter 6. Verses 16 to 18. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Those are our two choices. But thanks be to God that you who once were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin. Have become slaves of righteousness. In this world, we are slaves of, of one of two things, either sin or righteousness. Those are our choices. First John, chapter two. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Is the world or God. It is sin or righteousness. Those are our choices. And God gives us that choice. He sees such a, a value in us, such a, a honor in us, such a, a love for us, that he gives us a choice, the world or him. Who is your shepherd? And consider this question carefully. Our shepherd, what is a shepherd? Our shepherd is our master. The one who tells us where to go. He is our manager. He is our owner, whoever that might be be it the world or God. Whoever we choose, he will be the one who provides for us, the one who guides us, the one who gives to us from what he has. We need to ask ourselves, do we want the things that this world can provide us with, guide us into, give to us? And let's not kid ourselves that these things are nice things when we get them, aren't they? It was nice getting into a house, i got to admit it. It's nice having a good meal. It's nicer having a great meal at a fine restaurant than going to McDonald's. These things of this world are nice. But do we want the, the comforts of this world that are temporal? temporary, finite, and will come to an end? Or do we want the comforts to come in eternity? Do we want the world, or do we want God to be our shepherd? David chose God. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. One of the most powerful men on earth at the time, King David. He had money, he had land, he had people, he had power, all the earthly treasures at his disposal, didn't he? And he humbled himself before his creator and said, The Lord is my shepherd. He is my master. He is my manager. He is the one that owns me. I am the sheep of his pasture. I am his. As he claims God to be his own, he puts God in his rightful place, in a position over him. He claims God and says, he is my shepherd. He's above me. He's the one who owns me. Because David knew with all that he had that this is a world where all his wealth and all the comforts are short-lived and insecure. See, David had begun life as a shepherd, didn't he? As a young boy shepherding the sheep of his father. And then he came to the king's court, playing the lute, making music, calming the king down. And then he was a man on the run from Saul. And then he became king himself. And then he was a man on the run from his own son, Absalom. And then he was restored. And then he passed away. His son Solomon would later describe all the great wealth, all the things of this world, all the things he had as king as a a mist that disappears as quickly as it comes. A vanity. David knew that in this world, moth and rust destroy, and it's all temporary. He knew that what he really needed was not literal green pastures and literal still waters, but he needed his soul restored. What he really needed was the restoration of his soul. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. And the only one who could provide that, the only one who could restore his soul, the world doesn't have access to our soul, does it? Scripture tells us not to fear the one who can take our bodies, but the one who can condemn both the body and the soul. That is God alone. David knew that the only one who could provide restoration of his soul is God. And David found contentment not in the things of this world but in the provision of God. The green pastures and the still waters, these are a picture, a picture of peace and calm and contentment, knowing that, that what our, our absolute necessities are, the food and the water, they are provided. That which is necessary to us is provided by God. And he's not trying to describe here an, an earthly satisfaction Because God never promises us an earthly prosperity, does he? See, this is an earthly picture of a spiritual reality, a a type or a picture of salvation that we have in Christ and in Christ alone. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? John 16.33 In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. See, God doesn't promise us an earthly prosperity. If anything, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have hardship. You will have difficult things and difficult times because we live in a fallen world. But take heart. I've overcome the world, he says. Paul learned this. Paul, the apostle, learned this. He, He found that secret to contentment on this earth. Which He describes to us in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What was that? How do you do that? How do you face anything and everything? I can do all things through him who strengthens me through Christ and his walk with him, his relationship with him. It is not a contentment that depends upon the things of this world, but one that looks forward to Jesus Christ. That's what David had. He, he looked forward to that messianic salvation, a salvation that Paul had experienced and known. As the good shepherd has given his life for his sheep, And in doing so, he restores our souls. He restores us to new life, a a reconciled relationship with God, the pure and perfect creator through the forgiveness of our sins at the cross, his death in our place for our atonement, for our purification, that we might be able to stand before God and have that hope of everlasting life in the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what David looked forward to and Paul had seen and known, that spiritual provision of God in salvation through Jesus Christ. And this restored relationship with our Creator, our God, it gives us confidence as well as comfort. Because we know that as He has saved us, so will He guide us through this life verse 3 says he restoreth my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness he guides me, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake he leads he guides those who belong to him those who claim him as their own But did did you notice, though, that it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness. It's not necessarily paths of happiness, is it? And again, it's not necessarily an earthly prosperity that David is trying to lead us towards or speak to us about here, but a righteousness from God, walking in his ways according to his word. Sometimes it might be a path through the valley of the shadow of death of extraordinary hardship or even loss of physical life because God's ways are an anomaly in this world. It's a, God's ways, God's word is a contradiction to this fallen world that hates him. The world hates him and therefore it will hate us, and that's one of the promises he gives us. If the world hates you, John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He chose us to walk according to his word and in his paths of righteousness, and therefore the world will hate us. We aren't promised worldly prosperity. Well, oh, Where's the confidence? Where's the comfort? Where does that come from? He leads us in paths of righteousness. He leads us in these paths in spite of the trials, in spite of the valley of the shadow of death. What does it say? For his name's sake. That's an amazing promise right there. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God will always be true to himself. God will always be true to himself. He never changes in these things. Even when it means hardships for us, even when it meant death on a cross for him, he never changes in these things. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake because he will always be true to his name. And that is good for us. Malachi 3, 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. See, if, if God is eternally true to himself, his word, his character, his nature, then he will never, ever fail in his promises to his people. And he has promised us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. What does it say in John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, that's anybody, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise. And God, being true to his name, leading us in these paths for his name's sake, he will not fail in his promises to you because he will always be true to himself. And that is good for us. Our comfort and our confidence comes from our eternal security in Jesus Christ. And in Christ alone, whatever the world throws at us, even if it's the valley of the shadow of death, we cannot be taken from his hand. He leads us, which means he is right there with us. He steps out with the sheep and he leads them where they should go. In the book of John, as Jesus speaks of being our good shepherd, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one I know I've brought this passage up over and over again and I'll never stop bringing it up Romans chapter 8 verses 35 to 38 who shall separate us from the love of God nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because God will always be true to himself, and he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Who can do more than what Christ has done for us? Who can undo what Christ has done for us? Our salvation is perfect. The book of Hebrews reminds us that it was made perfect through suffering. He knew your sins. He knew them past, present, and future long before he called you, long before he saved you, before the foundations of the earth. And and we cannot shock God with just how stupid we can be. He knew it long beforehand, didn't he? And he will guard and protect your salvation with his shepherd's rod. He will not let it be taken from you. And he will lead and guide us with his shepherd's staff. And because of this, we we get to say with confidence, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the last, last statement in this psalm, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, not temporarily, but forever. Our shepherd provides salvation for us. He guards us as he guides us through this life and into eternal life. And and then on, on top of all that, he gives us gifts beyond and above anything we deserve. Verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me. Not only did he restore David's soul, but he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's a picture of abundance, a cup overflowing, full of goodness and mercy. And mercy is, is a withholding of negative consequences that are justly deserved. As his sheep, God offers us an undeserved, compassionate forbearance through his son, Jesus Christ. Anything on our table is more than we deserve, isn't it? And not only does he provide us with salvation, but he provides us with anything and everything we need to accomplish his will on this earth. And he's prepared a place for us. He's he's prepared a place for us to abide with him. And he's going to give us bodies that are able to abide with him. And he's prepared for us a wedding feast in his presence, something to look forward to. That's goodness and that is mercy. He gives us what we need here and now with a hope for our eternal future and blessings to come piled on top of that. There's our confidence and our hope that we know we are eternally secure in Jesus Christ and and the abundance that our Father has lavished us with and will continue to lavish us with as we hope for that eternal future in his presence. When your shepherd is the Lord Almighty who created the heavens and the earth, to whom belongs the cattle on a thousand hills, which simply represents the fact that everything belongs to him. Everything on this earth is our father's. When our father is God and we are his children, when the son has given his very life in order that we might be adopted into the family of God, and we have been spiritually restored, and he guards our salvation firmly, and he gives to us all we need on this earth with blessings to come. We can say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, in this life, in the life to come, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Who do you claim as your shepherd? Are we still depending upon this world to fulfill our desires and to be the source of our joy? To be where we draw our happiness from? How easy it is to slip back into that, isn't it? We are like sheep, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But the world will fail us where God will not. The world promises happiness through stuff. But all the stuff only brings a temporary joy. As it breaks and it falls apart. Have you ever noticed that? That thing you wanted the most 10 years ago for Christmas. How many of you remember what that was? How many of you still have it? And how many of you have had to fix it? probably ten times over, huh? As it it breaks and falls apart. That's all this world can provide us with. That's all it can guide us into. That's all it can give to us. Who will you choose? If you want that hope of a future, of eternal life, today is the day of salvation. Confess your sinful condition before a holy and perfect God. Accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice in your place as he paid the price of your sin at the cross. He died in your place for you that you might be able to simply accept that. Come before your creator through the Son, through Jesus Christ and his atonement for you. His blood shed in your place. Invite Him into your heart and and walk with Him in newness of life. Walk with Him reborn with an eternal purpose in your life. Not a temporal one, but one that will last for all eternity. Praise God we have such a shepherd who would do that for us, who would restore our souls provide us with an eternal security through his son jesus christ let's pray father god we praise you for you alone are holy As the angels declare in heaven, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And while you are pure and you are perfect and you are set apart, you didn't want to see us separated from you. And so you laid forth that plan of salvation for us. And we praise you that David looked forward to that day as he described that shepherd-sheep relationship and he claimed you as his own. And Lord, we praise you that you allow us that magnificent honor of claiming you as our shepherd. We praise you, Lord, that you've given us such dignity, such an opportunity. So, so Lord, we pray for those that we know, those who might even be in this room, if they have not accepted you as their Savior, we pray that they would, that they too would have the hope of eternal life that goes so much further, infinitely further than anything this world can promise us. We praise you, Lord. Lord for all you've done for us, all you give us, how you restore our souls, guide us, and provide for us, bless us. We praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.